0: and Welcome to Comic Book Fix, the new comic book show from your friends on the Fix Podcast Network. I'm Sam, and I'll be your host today. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Division Episode 3, Uzumaki, and The Wicked and Divine Volume 1. On this fine episode, I am joined by Jeff.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: That sounded like almost Duke Nukem-esque.
1: Uh, yeah, almost. Yeah, like almost. Let me work on it. Uh, hey, how's it going? There we go.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> what have we done? Uh, let's zoom straight on past uh, my uh, ill-improvised Duke Nukem bit into uh, required reading for the week so this week's required reading is WandaVision episode 3 now uh, we didn't get to talk about uh, episode 1 and 2 together on air and uh, so I thought if you'd like you could give me kind of some headline thoughts on on episode 1 and 2 And then um, what you thought of episode three.
1: Great, great. Um, What I thought about the series so far, um, I've had exceedingly clever um, and contrary to some of the uh, general vibes and discourse I've been seeing on Twitter. um, I actually don't find it boring or anything like that at all. I I find it actually quite chilling. Um, It gives me big uh, comedy of menace vibes. Um, There are parts, of course, that are very deeply silly, um, but most of it is like watching a a Pinter play where you're just sort of like, hmm, this feels extremely off. And if you have any inkling about uh, any sort of the meta plot, if you're familiar with House of M or um, the further adventures of Wanda Maximoff, (laughs) it can be. It can be you can spend most of the uh, most of the episodes going, oh, my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, And it can be very uh, I, I found it very tense. So when I'm thinking about WandaVision, it's not just a matter of excellent production dramaturgy, by which I mean they put so much research into the history of camera techniques, history of acting techniques, history of sets a uh, history of, of all of that they did a beautiful job with that of course that's not to, to minimize that i'm like wow that you really just went right for the bewitched intro and just went all the way for it um <laughs> i love
0: that uh, i used to watch bewitched a lot growing up and so i was like oh this is they're just doing, they're just doing bewitched
1: <laughs> right exactly um uh, i was i was impressed by it um but even more than that, like, I've been enjoying the way that it's been showing something that a lot of longtime Marvel readers have known about Wanda. Which is Wanda enjoys a, a, a fascinating narrative position in, in, the, in the canon where, yes, she can do daring daring deeds and what have you, but her character's very always been has, has been very i don't want to say reckless or wild in the in the sense of like completely uncontrollable but in the sense of she's she is extremely unpredictable. unpredictable precisely precisely unpredictable um she it, it's really hard to pin down about Wanda. you know with steve you always know the the sort of ethical sense that you're going to have he's like a rock You know, he's like, he's like a Chevy. He's like a rock. (laughs) Uh, Whereas, whereas Wanda, it's like, well, what are we getting today? Not really sure. Is it good? Mm. Hmm. So yeah, um, those are sort of my broad headlining thoughts about that one. Um, And what did you think? What did you think of episode three? Uh,
0: I think um, episode three is where they clearly play their hand um i feel i don't know i feel like episodes three episodes one and two would have maybe been better served by being bundled with episode three um because i think that the, a lot of the people who are saying one vision is a little boring or who are saying like oh it's just this right right if they'd had more of the elements that you see in three to watch 'Cause I, I think that the first two episodes are better for having very few non um non-period appropriate scenes. Right. So you'll notice that in um uh in in episode one, like I talked about it last week, that they use explicitly only the like I love Lucy very boxy camera angle that doesn't move. And then in the scene when uh Mr. Hart is choking the camera like slow crash zooms in to wonder in a shot that you just wouldn't have seen like they wouldn't have been physically able to get that shot on i love lucy um and i think that the, the very sparing nature of that in the first episode and the very slightly like they give you a little bit more in episode two and i think that like um i remember pat was saying that like he thought episode two was better because it had that stuff and as somebody who was kind of expecting that, I was expecting the non-standard, like something is going on here. Elements. Uh, I actually was quite refreshed to not see them in episode one, but yeah. So I think three is really smart for those elements, like Herb um, cutting the wall instead of the bushes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know that the especially his facial expression. Hmm. Right. As they, they, they go to him just looking at looking at the wall and there's this this sense of desperation and the sense of purpose that it's so easy to miss. There are, so mo- there are so many things that are easy to miss in this episode. <laughs> Fantastic acting from um, him and uh, Catherine
0: Hahn, who plays Agnes.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so many thoughts uh, about Catherine Hahn and Agnes uh, yeah. that I'm not gonna get into yet <laughs> but yeah i I was saying to
0: Pat and Chris last week that there's a few like if you paid attention to the casting um the stuff you'll know that they haven't revealed yet and I did I was like I didn't I didn't spoil that for them last week and i, I, I you know i'll I'll keep quiet again here same um I do I still stick with my theory of uh from last week that uh Wanda has tried to escape reality in this small town and all of the town's residents are uh real but trapped in her hallucination yeah and i think the um the um the geraldine from this week where um herb and agnes are like <clears throat> are like oh uh she's not from around here she doesn't live here sort of thing right like, that that says to me that Wanda is controlling them and they're trying to protect her, like white blood cells in her system of Westview.
1: Right. What's, um, have you got any theories so far? Oh, oh man, uh, too many, too many. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, I, on one hand, um, okay, so I, again, like, literally i have so much elvish here i'm showing i'm showing on the camera <laughs> here in our meeting and it's, it's just scrawl um so as far as the theory aspect um when i first saw the show i'm like okay i see three main tracks and one of which is you, you've already you've already uh, laid out which is it's coercive group therapy with wanda time as she as the whole series is sort of this profoundly sad illusion of Wanda trying to basically dissociate her, uh, her circumstances and and institute a new reality, dragging these people with her and making sure that she stays protected in her bubble um, of, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, I love Lucy, bewitched, kind of idealized television reality. Um, so that's one, that's one theory, another theory. Um, well, there's a couple of, a couple of, uh, a couple of possibilities I'm I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to circumlocute here where I could see this kind of plot, especially given the provenant, the comic book provenance of Wanda's children. Um, I could see that character who is involved in that (laughs) oblique (laughs) talking around noises uh I could see that character being involved somehow um I don't know if they're going to make that move though because that's a that's a big move that's a that's a huge move so Mm. well I could also see this um I could also see this having a a, like the tagline. What is it? The universe is expanding. Um, I could also see this tying into like some of the classic Doctor Strange villains, um, particularly like I don't know if they're going to go this direction. This is sort of the least probable one, but with nightmare, something like that, you know, but like it has that kind of unsettling nightmare feel and, and it could be plausibly woven, especially. Given um, a certain character, but uh, but yeah, um, th- those are sort of the the principal theories. And the more Easter eggs I, I pick up, like uh, uh, so, Catherine Hans brooch. Um, did you notice that it's, one? It's it looks to me
0: like a Grim Reaper with two other people. Is that right? Like I I I I, I spotted it last episode and this one
1: this one they showed it
0: really prominently
1: mm-hmm. yeah it looks it looks like uh, death and the fates and i'm like hmm, hmm. <laughs> interesting interesting um i also noted um just that i have a whole list of like chilling moments here of uh the sokovian lullaby that was a really mm-hmm. great moment um, we got to see the other side of Wanda with the threat. Um, uh, with with that kind of thing. Um, one subtle thing uh that I appreciated was the special effects they used um towards the end of the episode where we see like the quarantine view. And oh. we see the the lights shining in on where presumably West view be and they the the effect that the visual designers chose is something akin to um i think both of us are old enough where when you when you get really close back in yonder olden days uh you get really close to a um to the old tube televisions especially with the curved screens you you mm. start, to start to see these sort of pr- uh prismatic scan lines like like the credits, they make the credits up kind of
0: similarly like that, of like TV pixels, basically super old school
1: pixels. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And I, I, I thought that was interesting that that was the effect they chose to represent, like, here's the wall, here's the barrier to whatever's going on in, in Westview. I thought that was fascinating. Um, what did you think of uh, <laughs> the, the Billy Tommy thing? I thought that was clever. Yeah, I think it was it, clever to
0: see where those names come from. Because obviously, like, we know Billy and Tommy. Like, we're, we're intimately familiar with those characters. Or at least Young Avengers fans are. Um, And it's, it's interesting to, to get that storyline from the other end, almost. Because obviously, in Young Avengers, the whole storyline is, are they or aren't they? vision and scarlet which is ch- children right uh whereas basically straight up here they're saying yeah this is billy and tommy but seeing right. um vision being like oh yeah uh, i can't remember he does he say all the world's a stage see what is that the line he quotes mm-hmm. i'm like yeah yeah and then also you know the, the scene where he he seems to kind of twig that something's going on and wonder just snaps it back right right exactly i think that's definite like that i don't see any other route out of this story um i mean like like i say my theory is that she will end up everyone thinks someone's doing it to her but it's just gonna be her and i don't know if there will be a big superhero battle i think it might just be like vision saying you gotta let me go sort of thing right um I'd love to see Aaron Taylor Johnson in this show. I have to say, I, I don't think that they could have kept it under wraps, but I would love to have seen him. That's just
1: my wishful thinking there, because I loved the MCU Quicksilver. Right, exactly. I thought they, any any. There's so much more room to to go with to go there, you know. And, and I, I really tr- truly hope that they end up surprising us with something. Um, but even the name drop was was fairly effective. Um, Definitely. Yeah, she's never mentioned him again either in like any of the movies. Right, exactly, exactly. And then all of a sudden we get like, oh, by the way, we're not just mourning, you know, your dead love, but also your your dead brother. And that's still there. (laughs) A twin brother as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Also, I just, again, it's been said uh, ad nauseum at this point, but Paul Bettany is just having so much fun that <laughs> that guy is just having the time of his life <laughs> absolutely it's
0: his he is extremely fun in the show um i did also really laugh like i had a proper laugh today at um dotty's husband jones jonesy when she's like these earrings make me look fat and then the lights go off and he's like oh thank god thank god, god. <laughs>
1: Is hilarious? Yeah, that was that was wonderful. I love that. Um, the let's see, uh, picking up on um, also uh, actually before I get to the the thread from last week. Um, but Paul, can we can we have some respect for Paul's excellent dad joke? Like Vision knocked the dad joke game out of the park with. I can't wait to be a papa. ya I'm like, wow salute <laughs> he, He's he's been
0: extremely dad jokey the whole time really um, there's been a lot of really really like classic someone who doesn't have a sense of humour jokes almost right. <laughs> um, but the oh, my favourite joke still I think in the whole series is when he says to he off, Herb offers him the gum and he's like oh I guess I'll eat it and from what I understand, it's purely for mastication. And Herb looks at everyone and goes, oh, "I don't, I don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> such a such a funny joke.
1: It's great. It's great. They're they the as as chilling and as disturbing as sometimes Wandavision can be. Like they really, they're very good with the humor. Um, and I, I'm mm. very much looking forward to uh, where it's going next. Also, say this week's episode reminded
0: me more of like any more than any other thing. Of uh, too many cooks, the Adult Swim uh, YouTube short, yep. um, specifically because there's laugh tracks. There's laugh track. It spot hits when there are no jokes in One this week. There's multiple times where that happens, and I was like, that no, there were no, there was no joke there. That just the laugh track got hit off, and like you know, you're conditioned from shows like Big Bang Theory that are not funny that have laugh tracks, to right. Uh, think, oh, that was probably intended
1: to be a joke. But I don't think that they are. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, the, uh, and that's uh, something I wrote down here is Laugh Track as Antagonist. And like, I, mm. I can't help but, because you noted that uh, last episode and then you started listening for it. And there, it adds to the menace of the entire Mizzle scene, right? You know, it's it's very... Like that laugh track's very wrong, and I like that you brought up too many cooks because that's exactly the kind of escalatory behavior, like in the the, the later part of that video where everything's going wrong, and I'm like, aha, mm, okay, we're going there. Uh, welcome back to the Pinter Dome. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I wanna, I wanna, I want all of the rest of the episodes now. Yeah. I think this show
0: is maybe one that will not be served super well by being uh, weekly. I can see Falcon and Winter Soldier being, like, they've said that it's, like, it's six episodes, it's an hour each, and they're just, like, ball-to-the-wall action movie. Like, they're not trying anything fancy or anything different. They're making an MCU movie that's longer and told over a few episodes. Right. Which I think will work. Mm-hmm. um but i think something like wandavision is something that i would absolutely have binge watched oh like, yeah i th- I think it's it's one of those things where the, the end of the episode makes you desperate for the next one yes
1: yes uh, i completely agree um i'm i'm very hungry for more content at this point and i'm like i it, because the episodes are, are also just quite so short i mean it's a blessing for when you have to review these but, but at the same time like as just a view from a pure consumptive audience standpoint i'm like mm, i needed at least like 40 more minutes guys <laughs>
0: yeah i mean like the way that this episode ends is really is really like oh i need to know more um i noticed actually so i, I left the, the tv on I just like open on the wandavision page on disney plus when we finished the episode and i noticed that um you know there's like a bunch of tvs in front of them yeah one of the tvs has all of the announced co-stars on it <laughs> and i was like oh that's a huge spoiler for anyone who's paying attention indeed indeed i'm gonna have to go back and look at that um <laughs> Yeah, I, I literally was like, I'd just been sat there looking at this screen, like while I was having a conversation with my wife, and I was like, "Right, is that? Because they're on the so- on the side, right? Like they're, uh, they're on the, like the very far right of the image. Like, don't look at this image if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, but for people like us who have seen the castings and you know have like seen
1: the trailers in some cases for some characters, like
0: we know they're there. Oh, yeah,
1: they're there. They're there. They're absolutely there." Um, so yeah. it, it's just a nice sort of confirmation of going oh and then it ends up building excitement it's just yeah next thing you know you're, you're just uh clicking refresh on disney plus until the wee hours of the morning and that's what your life is now um <laughs>
0: yeah i'm very excited to see uh one of the three characters in particular uh who i'm a huge fan of yeah um, i won't i won't spoil anything for anyone listening although i did spoil it last week uh, yeah well we'll give them another don't, chat just don't listen to episode one too closely yeah yeah <laughs> um so uh we've we've already done theories um so we may as well move straight on to the pull list um yeah. I'll, I'll let you start again um because you have brought this week the wicked and the divine which i'm assuming you've got thoughts on yes i do um, I'll, I'll let you know very quickly up front uh that i used to go to the same amateur comic creators' workshop as Kieran Gillen, and he's an extremely nice man.
1: Oh, nice.
0: That's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, Ah, awesome. (laughs) We once queued up to get um, some comics signed by Grant Morrison, and he spent the entire time that we were in this queue Mm -hmm. telling me about how uh, Grant Morrison believes that he wrote his girlfriend into existence. Okay. Okay. I've never been able to confirm this anywhere. He could have just been fucking with me, but it was a believable enough story that I just went with it.
1: Yeah, like that. that's exactly like one of those things that I could see Grant Morrison saying, and then the problem is I just have a problem like disentangling that from the from the truth <laughs> as it were. So I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds like a Grant Morrison quote. Like, mm, okay, great. <laughs> but yeah, no, Wicked and the Divine, um, it's been recommended to me uh, quite a bit. It's a... I believe the run's finished now. Yeah, they, they finished up. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, from Image Comics, uh, as uh, Sam already mentioned. Uh, Kieran Gillen is writer uh, and Jamie McKelvey as the artist. And these this duo worked together on Young Avengers um, and then were offered, I believe, an ongoing over at Marvel. And then they went, well we love young Avengers and we love the opportunity, but we want to do something on our own. And they came up with Wicked and, the D- Wicked and the Divine, which, uh, can be summed up in a variety of ways as, uh, you know, well, what if you played a, uh, a vampire, the masquerade game and <laughs> instead of, uh, clans in there's, uh, there's gods that have come back as, uh, pop stars and, uh, Hilarity and horror uh, ensue. Um, that's a very glib summary, of course. Uh, what it actually is, is uh, beautifully drawn, extremely well written, um, extremely well researched as far as your typical mythology and comics. Um, very evocative piece. I was very impressed with with volume one because um, I didn't expect to really get as into it as I ended up. Uh, doing I, I went well I will probably you know just sort of dab dabble in it and we'll find out and next thing you know I'm 20 pages in and I'm like okay no I'm I'm hooked and then I ended up fi- finishing this entire like a hundred and what is it, 192 page volume in about the space of an hour and a half um, <laughs> so because it, it, it just hooks you um, and that's not just because of the, the gorgeous clean lines that we've come to expect from something like McKelvey or the sort of very, uh, snarky, but yet extremely enjoyable writing and characterization that we get from Gillen. It's because, and uh, hot take, I guess, um, it ends up filling that, uh, that void that I remember having, um, when Gaiman's Sandman run ended. Um, it it, it kind of taps into that space where you feel like almost like you're reading something from a vertigo imprint and Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's really I, I think actually uh, in, in some regards um, Where Gaiman was sort of the the giant everything is true pluralist um, Here we have Gillen going okay, but let's actually introduce some ambiguity here. What is actually the truth what is actually happening, how many people are actually aware of what's going on. And this, I think, is a much more interesting concept, um, especially rather than having, you know, gods in their grandeur. Uh, the conceit of the the book, which is there is a recurrence that happens every 90 years, and these mo- these humans are suddenly told they're members of what's called the Pantheon. And these particular deities then inhabit them. They are ridden. They become these deities. Um, They are no longer their their old mortal selves, at least in Volume 1. And this then transforms them into these sorts of hedonistic, adoration-seeking folks who are wanting to become... You know, usually in, in, in the reality of the book, uh, pop star, celebrity sort of rock stars. And, and some of the moves are pretty predictable. Like Lucifer is very clearly the thin white Duke era of David Bowie. Like, And I'm like, yeah, no, OK, that tracks. <laughs> uh, the, but some of the God selection was was rather novel. I haven't actually seen someone do the Morrigan right in a comic, in a in a in a big uh urban realism or urban fantasy, I should say, uh setting. But we we got a really fascinating and compelling version of the of the Morrigan there. Um I would also recommend it as far as um it is an immortal story that is an immortal that is not an immortal story. So the, the yes, these gods or these humans get ridden by these gods but they only live for two years that's part of the the deal as it were and so they're immortal they can't be killed unless these something happens within these two years and in volume one we're not really given that story we, d- we don't really understand how they end up dying um unless by certain interventions And so that's kind of interesting, a kind of immortality, but not really a sort of burning out, a burning, uh, twice as bright kind of deal. Um, I think where it succeeds, it's characterized extremely well. The art, oh my God, it's a gorgeous book. And if for nothing else, go pick this up because of the art. I would agree. Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it it has a lot of intrigue and a lot of promise. Um, it's extremely funny, but it's also extremely uh, the intrigue of the meta plot and of the characterization plot is enough to make you go, OK, I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to know more. So that's something that I really uh, enjoyed. And again, from a mythological uh, standpoint, it's not just Thor and Loki. It's not. Yeah, you know, I think we get some um, some of the sort of rogue characters. I mean, Lucifer, obviously, but, you know, Sekhmet. Is there uh, <laughs> we get uh, we don't really get Odin. Uh, he, he only sort of appears um, and it's a very different kind of Odin than what we're used to. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's where it really succeeds, where it falters. Um, some of the motivations for the main character can be a little. I'm not going to say contrived. They can be a little uh, opaque. Um, it can be a little bit mystifying as to why this human is suddenly so bound up in this and it's it, you can very much e- easily miss the fact that okay this is a this is fanish behavior and not something else. And sometimes it felt like hmm what is 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 the verisimilitude that you're trying to aim for here does that actually does I actually hit the mark? I don't know. So that's that that could be a possible stumbling point. The Power initiation is a little puzzling. Um, I get I get the the dramatic tension, you know, because everyone counts, you know, one, two, three, four, bam. And I think that's cool. And it fits with the sort of musician thing. It's a little puzzling sometimes, but I'm like, okay, all right. Um, and if you are not a person who enjoys smug and hip. Uh, if, (laughs) you know, if you're, if you are not a person who enjoys that kind of thing, you probably won't enjoy a Wicked and Divine, if only because it is, it is, it wears its hipness on its on its sleeve. It's very like, yes, welcome to millennials. Um, (laughs) So, um, but no, I, I recommend it. Um, give it a try um and it's a it's a fascinating conceit and if and even if you don't like it you get to stare at some pretty pictures and you know time that's time well spent
0: <laughs> have you read yeah. it? yeah uh so i have started i started it and um i i don't know kieran gillen will never listen to this podcast um so i can say that i didn't particularly like it
1: okay um, great. it's
0: probably the only um gillen thing that i've been like that i've not just like instantly been like, oh yeah, this this is really good. Um, mm. I don't know if it's because my like, and my Jones for mythology is not particularly strong. Um, I like, I don't know, I like I'm reading Donny Cates's Thor at the moment, and I like that book, but I think that it does a lot of stuff with the mythology of the MCU, not right. MCU, sorry, the the Marvel universe. Um, I was trying to shorthand it. Marvel Comics universe. um, There we go. Yeah, there you go. Um, it does a lot with the history of that, not and the mythology there with like Galactus and um the universe before the Marvel universe that Galactus is from and all that sort of stuff. Like that's that's kind of the, the main story in the first few issues. And then uh but, yeah, so I, I don't know why it didn't really hit with me. Um, it's probably something that I should go back to and read. But then uh, I think maybe the thing that you were saying that, that, that reminds you a lot of Sandman is maybe one of the things is because I don't like Sandman oh. I I love the first trade of Sandman, but I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't been able to get more than, like, six pages into the second. Gotcha. So, I gotcha. Maybe maybe I'm uncultured.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, I mean, Sandman was, uh, and I can see if you're not a fan of Sandman, like this, you're going to bounce right off this book because it uses very similar beats, very similar sensibilities. um, And like Gaiman, Gaiman's a person who produces a, quite a bit of extreme reactions, both you know, in the sense of like when when people really like him, uh, oh boy, <laughs> better sit down and get ready for a four hour diatribe. And, you know, on the other hand, when people don't like him, well, get prepared for the same thing, except in the opposite balance. Uh So, so yeah, I totally get um, bouncing off of that. Um, and I think there are some really legitimate critiques that could be made for the way that mythology gets treated in in Gaiman. Um, I think wicked and the divine might might avoid some of those critiques but not all of them so like it's still going to be relying upon the same kind of urban fantasy sensibility the same kind of structure the same kind of discovering the hidden world kind of deal and all of these capricious gods being there uh hmm. and and the, basically the the whole tone of the day being well moral ambiguity the end um (laughs) and that can be kind of unsatisfying um especially if you're like wanting the 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 release and the catharsis of of like big ethical functions that what we get from like dc and and marvel so no i'm i totally get it totally get it
0: i would um i'd super recommend uh die by kieran gillen i almost picked that one (laughs) Uh, I think Die is fantastic. Die is basically Kieran Gillen having sat in the pub and gone, it would be really awful if you were one of the people that was in the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. (laughs) And then, like, expanding that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. The the artwork I hated originally, but it massively grew on me once they cross over from the real world to the world of Die. Um, Also, uh, Kieran's written the full RPG that you can play in the Scheme of Die. Uh, Polygon did an article on it. It's fantastic. Absolutely worth listening.
1: Nice, 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 nice.
0: Okay. Um, Also, Kieran and uh, McKelvey's first ever work is called Phonogram. It's basically about how music is magic. So if you are the kind of person who loves music, track phonogram down it's an image book uh it's from i want to say 09, 08, 09 and like it, it's kieran's first book and uh, i remember him showing me the pitch for it in this comic creators club and he was like oh yeah this just got bought by image for six issues and then it kind of he kind of like took off massively from there but um yeah phonogram's awesome
1: phonogram's really cool awesome uh yeah, I'm, I'm writing that down. I am I am underlining it three times, because um, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, awesome, cool. Yeah, the the they did a sequel
0: series as well, actually called Rule Britannia, which is I I didn't think it was as good, but the first one
1: is is still good. You said Rule Britannia.
0: Yeah, it's basically the main character is a like kind of a music snob um, in a world where music can be used to cast spells and magic and uh, like uh, yeah it's it's really smart I I can't remember all that much apart from
1: uh, how much I thought it was fun Uh, but uh I mean, you know, uh, this is a world where Robert Fripp from King Crimson is clearly going to be just the the most (laughs) powerful mage. Um, (laughs) Deep cut there. It's okay. I'm I'm old. It's fine. But uh, speaking of old,
0: I've been reading a really old book. Uh, So I participated in Reddit Secret Santa for the first time this year. And uh, I got mine this week a little bit late. Because uh, I got rematched, my original Santa did not send me anything. Um, but my rematch Santa sent me a load of amazing stuff. Uh, so, like, I don't have their name or anything; it was anonymous. So, thank you very much if they ever listen to this. Um, but they sent me a copy of Uzumaki by Junji Ito. Nice. Um, it, I'd say it's probably the horror comic. Uh, it, like across all media it's a manga but like even across the us comics i don't think anyone is trying to step to uzumaki in terms of like just general unease right and that's that's a big thing i get from the book um so i've just read um the storyline which is called jack in the box one of the short stories um the concept of Uzumaki is this it's like a short story collection almost of what happens to this girl whose name is Kirie, who lives in a like a, a small town called uh, Kuruzo Cho. And obviously I don't know how it's pronounced because I've just read it. <laughs> not uh, not heard it spoken. Um basically it's a uh the, the town is kind of cursed um by something supernatural and uh is just everything that everything that's happened is all to do with spirals and, like uzumaki means spiral in japanese right. so i've just finished uh, chapter 7 jack-in-the-box um, which was uh the first one that was like genuinely scary and creepy um the there's been kind of a steady escalation from like originally it being a bit like mm, this is it just makes me feel a bit uneasy uh and a there's there's been like all the all the way through there's like this sense of foreboding that something horrible is going to happen and you know it and you're watching these characters just kind of go through these motions uh, it's really smart. Is um Kyrie's boyfriend? Uh, is he's in- instantly like, this this place is awful. This is bad. Right, you should not live here. A sensible thing. Uh, yeah, and um the, the his dad is the subject of the first story, and so he's like exposed very early on to how messed up um Kuroso Cho is. And then when kind of Kyrie is kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's not too bad. It's like, that's just like a weird thing that happened. And then like the weird things start happening directly to her family and then directly to her. And like everything kind of pulls closer and closer to her. Um, I'm super interested to read more of this Uh, during the daytime after this particular one. Um, it is something, uh, so far I would have said that people like me who do not like horror can still enjoy it. Um, it's definitely one of the best things I've read in a while. Um, you can see why it's the the name in horror, manga, comics, what have you, um, Yeah, like when you've got time, I would definitely recommend giving it a read and like, I'd love to hear your thoughts chapter
1: by chapter. (laughs) Yeah, like there's there's a lot of fascinating stuff here, like uh, like Uzumaki, um, like Junji Ito. One of the things that I think he the line that he straddles so extremely well is let's do cosmic horror. And so obviously drawing upon the, the American tradition of cosmic horror. But then he also he also weaves it with this sort of really eerie slice of life stuff that mm-hmm. that adds that extra layer of verisimilitude and then on top of that um there's it like it, he he's very much a traditionalist um I, i'm reminded of of hokusai's uh ghost stories uh, Hokusai, of course known for the you know the big wave um <clears throat> and what have you but he also wrote this um yeah, the sort of ghost story book uh, with attendant illustrations that the idea was you would light uh, was it 100 candles and as you read the stories you extinguish the candle and it gets darker in the room and what have you um and the sorts of ghosts and the sorts of of haunts that you get um are very reminiscent of that um so in that way he's he's very uh, a traditionalist um especially given given kind of how he telegraphs things. So like uh, for many Americans, um, the the town name of uh, Kurotsujo um, is like, you know, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a name. That's fine. But it has several translations. So like among them is like a dark town or closed town, or if you want to be really literal, black spiral town. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of wearing its name, its problems on its sleeve, right? Um, But I I like the idea that um, the monster itself is also mimicked in the way that the narrative action works, where you start from the periphery and it slowly spirals into the main character. And I think that's an exceedingly clever structural thing that Ito does. And that's... I, I just, you know, this is now a Junji Ito fan cast. Um. <laughs> um,
0: I was reading earlier on about just like doing a, a little bit of background reading. I try not to read too much about stuff while I'm reading it. Right. Um, but I didn't realize that um, the spiral is very positively portrayed in Japanese media. Like, I mean, we've all seen the Dreamcast logo. Oh, yeah. um, but like... Yeah, it's uh, it's apparently has very positive associations, so it's really interesting um, looking at it from that framework as well. Because, like in the first, like in the first chapter, the the, one of the characters is like, "I just love spirals," and you're like, "Yeah, I get it. Spirals are cool." Um, But then, everything you know spirals down. Downwards.
1: (laughs) Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs>
0: Apparently, there were two video games for the Wanda Swan. Um, I don't know how you would make a Uzumaki video game, having read some of Uzumaki. But I'm curious to see if there's
1: video of that on YouTube. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can uh, track that down. I could see it being like a visual novel or something like that, or uh, or there's the recent uh, sort of insp- inspired by the majority of Itō's works. Uh, what is it? World of Horror. Uh, mm. Which I've been meaning to try and probably stream someday, but uh, I think that's—I uh, think that would be uh, interesting to check out. And yeah, I'll—I'll I'll do some homework there and I'll report back. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's—it's—it uh, seems like a brilliant book. Um, I need to—I need to actually finish it because um, shameful, shameful confession, dear listener, um, I have owned this book since 2018. And I have only occasionally uh, dabbled into it, which uh, is a warning. Never, never try. If you want to read anything ever again, never go into a grad program. <laughs> Don't do that.
0: That's one of the best things about this podcast.
1: Now you've got things to read every couple of weeks. Exactly. Exactly. And, and now I can't be like, oh, you know, I'm feeling too guilty. No, no, no. I have to read it for the podcast. So thank you for doing that for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, Uzumaki's great. Go, go read it. Yeah, it's uh,
0: the I, I looked up the edition just to see um, how much the others were. Like, cause there's like three books in the the, the Jinjito like hardcover fancy edition series, and um, they're all actually pretty reasonably priced. Uh, they were like 14 pounds in the UK each, and that's like it's not that about your average hard book price.
1: Yeah, like uh, my my version costs 28 bucks uh, American dollars, but um, for what you're getting, I mean. It's three manga
0: volumes, which are normally like probably 10 bucks. So I expect you're probably saving money. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's uh, thick enough to uh, be a doorstop or uh, mm. a very good paperweight. Uh, <laughs> so, but <laughs> thankfully, it has more value than either of those things. <laughs> so definitely <Yeah>. read it.
0: <laughs> Uh, speaking of required reading, um, so uh, we are carrying on with the required reading segment next week with Um We've got uh, Erica, um, a long-time co-host of Gaming Fix, will be back for Comic Book Fix next week as my lovely co-host. Um, but now I think that unless, uh, Jeff, you had any other comics to recommend for the week
1: um other than that um i think i think we can divide in Uzumaki and watching some wandavision that's a nice way to spend a week um i think uh, i think that's like enough homework we can we can revisit the syllabus uh next time
0: <laughs> um uh the one thing i would say is that i read back issue two um uh, so pat talked about issue one last week Issue two is also great. Um, the I feel like the artist on it has massively stepped up their game. Um absolutely stunning looking book. Um so I would I would recommend that. I think we I think everyone here knows Tom King is great. Yep. Um so if you read any of the comics that we discussed, uh, or you liked or disliked the show and want to let us know about it, you can email us at comics at fix.space or you can tweet us at fixpodcasts. Uh, fix is spelled with a Y um, I'm sure that's why we had no email this week uh, Please rate and review us on your podcast service of choice as that helps more people find the show If you are listening on Spotify you can click on follow to make sure you get notified about new episodes uh, Thank you to my lovely co-host Jeff Davis for our wonderful intro music for editing the show and for turning up Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week uh, as I said with Erica and some more WandaVision Vision.